Hello, and welcome to a soul-swapping episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we're reviewing part one of our Body Switch trilogy with 2003's Freaky Friday. We'll jump into five-point inspection with Out of Body, Direct-to-Video, Bulls in a China Shop, One Note, and Lohan High. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Why, hello there, friends and hopefully newcomers of the show. Normally, this is the part where we'd have the sound of the garage rising and we would get into our opening skit. But this week, I felt it necessary to explain the sound of a toddler that you'll find throughout the episode. Um, normally, we like to record this late at night, um, but me and Travis had kind of crazy hectic weeks and had a hard time kind of linking up. So ultimately, we had to, to record this at about 10 o'clock in the afternoon uh, on Memorial Day which meant my three-year-old was running around her room, which isn't far from my recording space. Um, she, for the most part, stayed fairly quiet, with the exception of uh, when I chose to drop a couple F-bombs. Obviously, we're trying to teach her not to swear at this young age. Um, and in doing so, she likes to correct me when I do so. So um, there might be a few instances where shortly after you hearing me say the word fuck, um, you will hear her in the background telling me not to say that word. It is a bad word. So, uh, yeah, enjoy the show. Hopefully it doesn't, you know, break the immersion too much for you. But uh, just thought it was it was worth mentioning. Thank you, and uh, we'll return to your regularly scheduled programming. Oh, 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 oh. What the hell? Where did where did these come from? Hey, this this looks like one of Brett's tattoos. Am I am I losing my mind? What, wait, why am I even talking to myself? Wait, this is Brett's office. Why why am I taking a nap in Brett's office? Brett! God damn it. Brett, where the hell are you, man? I don't know how you did this tattoo prank, but uh did you roofie me? Brett! Hey, 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 what is all the yelling about? I've been doing inventory. Where are you? Hey, I'm, I'm back here. I don't know what kind of ink you use, but these fake tats aren't coming off. Fake tats? What are you talking? Whoa, holy shit. I don't know who you are, but you need to stay back. Well, hey, you sound like Brett, but you, you look like me. You sound like Travis, but you look like me. Uh, well, okay, look, last week it was memory loss. Now this, some, something really strange is going on. There's got to be an explanation. I just got a text. Me too. What's your say? A journey, a journey soon, begins. soon begins. Questions, Questions about, about why you reviewed this movie today, today only, only to be, to be answered, answered once you both discuss Freaky Friday? Maybe we should just try running into each other. A single mother and her teenage daughter don't always see eye to eye, which somehow validates the gross misuse of magic allowing them to walk in the edge of their shoes. Literally. After breaking open a set of mystic fortune cookies, the two swap bodies and now must come to understand the pitfalls of each other's existence or risk remaining in the other's body for all eternity. 
What's the worst that could happen when a 15-year-old is giving therapy advice on the eve of her host's wedding and a 40-something-year-old is sent back to high school during exams week? So Travis, we'll jump into five-point inspection here in a minute, but before we do, you know I want to know your quick diagnostic of this here flick. Hearing you stumble over the intro is it, quite fantastic because that probably was one of the more difficult openings you've ever had to describe and all of your effort is like you put more effort into that than I feel the production team behind this movie did I uh I guess for some reason I kind of conflated this movie with two other Lindsay Lohan movies of the era um mm -hmm. Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen which I remember being okay and then, of course, the, the cinematic classic Mean Girls. I thought this movie was going to be maybe somewhere in between those two. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. I uh, This was the most difficult watch in the history of the Hollywood Chop Shop for me. I, I finished this over three settings. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I probably didn't even finish the last 10 minutes. What, what are your general thoughts? For a long time, listeners of this show... You all should know my least favorite movie we have ever reviewed is Life. I hated Life. Could not stand that movie, right? I mean, I ripped into that movie when we watched it. I would watch Life any day of the week over this fucking piece of shit. <laughs> like, I hated this movie pretty much from start to finish. To the point, like, I'm researching who the writers, the director, the, the, the casting, the staff... Everything on paper makes it sound like this movie should have been decent at 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 worst. And it is just it's atrocious. Like I'll say this. I think and this isn't, you know, a uh, hundred percent or anything, you know, an absolute as the Sith like to, to deal in. But I would say for the most part, the way we view movies is you typically care more about the acting. Like that's really what gets you going. And I typically care more about the story. Like I'm willing to forgive some shoddy acting if I really think the story was well done. Whereas you're willing to kind of forgive a shoddy story if the acting is just phenomenal. Like that's just our preference. Not to say that we don't care about the other side of it, but that's just where we tend to, you know, that's where our interests are. Um, for me, th the story on this this movie is so bad. It's so bad. I couldn't I couldn't give Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan the benefit of the doubt with the acting because I just I could not stand what was happening in this, in this movie. Well, and that's the thing. It, I can't tell if their good performances are bad because everything is just so grating I, I don't know where you want to start with the five points i'm assuming direct to video has to do with just the overall quality of the script and as because yeah. this felt like a disney channel original uh dude that's my exact notes feels like a disney channel original that was retrofitted for the big screen <laughs> yeah it's like they they had this script and they were like you know what Jamie Lee Curtis is interested in actually doing this. Like they probably had some middling sitcom actress and then like, oh, we got Jamie Lee. Well, now we have to put it out in the theater. Do we have time to take a couple more passes at the script? Absolutely not. So here's the thing, Travis, is I think less than 10 years before this, Disney Channel did do a Freaky Friday. So like they had already recently done this movie and then decided to redo it for theaters. And I have no idea what, let's see, it's been remade several times. Uh, 1995, I believe, it was a Disney Channel original, yeah. 
basically Disney Channel original movie, Freaky Friday. So Any, anybody I, in there that we know? Uh, Shelley Long and Gabby Hoffman. So I'm I'm gonna say no. Drew Drew Carey was in it. That's the biggest name I'm seeing. Yeah, Shelley Long, who is uh, about ten years post her career peak of Cheers. So yeah. <laughs> Like I said, a, a middling TV actress, and, and they literally did it, you know, eight years before. What a weird choice. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but yes, hands down, I thought the, the cinematography, I don't know about you, and this is something that I think happened a few times in like the early 2000s. I cannot stand when they speed up the film like when like at the very beginning when she's getting ready in the morning and they just like speed up the camera i cannot stand when they do that effect and i don't know what it is about it it just i think it's lazy i think it's unnecessary I'm like there's so many better ways to establish that time is passing here other than like her opening and closing the door and being changed immediately like i thought that was you know that was kind of cute and fun whatever but like the whole speeding up the camera i'm like i cannot stand when they do that <laughs> Yeah, it's impossible for it to not look amateurish to me. And then it, yes. you're surrounding that with an amateurish level script. It, it Everything just looks so cheap and poorly done. And that's how the movie opens, is them using that. So, like, it sets the tone of the movie. We're like, oh, this is, I'm, ooh, buckle in, because this is not going to be a fun ride. <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously we can we can go where you like with the topics, but... What I noticed immediately, probably within the first 15 to 20 minutes, it's like, okay, it's a body switch comedy, but that's going to be the only source of quote unquote comedy slash jokes in the whole movie. Like everything's got to be like, well, you know, you can't eat junk food. It's going to go down your throat and go to my hips. Like it's those kind of jokes just over and over and over again. I mean, it sounds like you're kind of playing into one note. So do you want to do you want to go one note? Yeah, let's go. Let's go one note. Um, it's just even even the initial morning when they wake up, you know, I'm so old. I look like the Crypt Keeper. Like, I don't know if in 2003 in an audience of Disney age children, if that stuff's going to get laughs. But if you're not laughing at that in the very first scene after they switched, that's going to be the whole movie. That was that scene was in the trailer for this movie because I remember the trailer for this movie. And yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it on the Men in Black episode. We loved that movie so much because there were so many styles of comedy, you know, you know, setups and callbacks. Uh, I think you mentioned that, you know, slapstick comedy is the easiest to perform. That's all that's in this movie is, is slapstick level writing. So I. I don't have much to say because this movie doesn't have much to say. Yeah, no, I, I can't disagree with that. It is just. Yeah. Um, so as you're talking about them waking up the the morning after, we'll just jump, do a out of body real quick because it's it's a quick one for me. I just <laughs> this has to be quite possibly the worst like soul swap sequence I've ever seen in a movie. Like, especially for it being in 2003, where it's just, they're sleeping and we're going to slowly pan the camera from one to the other. And that's establishing that they've switched bodies. And even at the end of the movie, when they switch back, and that's basically all they do, we're like, you have Lindsay Lohan. And it's almost 
almost Highlander where he's kind of like got his arms out like and like looking up to the sky but also not quite Highlander where it's just like all of a sudden let's take the camera and pan it over the uh, or over the crowd and back into the other person like this is establishing that they've switched back bodies and I'm like you couldn't have done some like ghost effect or something like that that makes it look like there's I mean I just thought it was the laziest and shittiest way to show that they've switched bodies I've ever seen yeah, and, and you left out the uh, the earthquake only they can feel at, at the Chinese well, the first restaurant. One. Yeah. yeah, the second one everybody could feel. <laughs> yeah, when they get back, everyone knows the earthquake. But when they the, the initial magic happens, only they feel that earthquake, which again breaks their own logic. I don't know, understand. So, I have two big questions about this movie. And I th- I'm assuming one of them might be covered in bulls in a china shop. And you also touched on it uh, in your opening. Number one, you, you can tell this is a different era in 2003 because they're still doing the racist trope of Chinese people or magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to your point, the reckless use of this, like you might be damning two people. And by extension, here's my other complaint. The two male leads in this movie, what kind of fucked up trauma are they going to have from this? Like, what? <laughs> Dude, there's so much. Mark Harmon is trying to fuck who he thinks is his fiance, but is really a 15 year old girl. And then on the flip side, you know, Chad Michael Murray is hanging out with what he thinks is a 15 year old, but is really like a 45 year old woman. I. The amount of therapy those two gentlemen might need as a result of this, which, again, is only because the woman at the Chinese restaurant just decides, fuck it. Travis, I'm not sure where it's at because I can't find the line yet. But at some point, there is some level of statutory rape in this movie. All right. And I'm trying to figure out what it is because it is either Tess is kissing Jake and Anna's body. Okay, so either it is an older woman kissing a younger boy and having that or Anna is 15 and Jake is 18 or older, at which point (laughs) that's the stat. I'm like, at some point, like either Jake is going after Tess, even as the old as Anna in Tess's body at some level, we are playing with statutory rape as, as a plot element of this movie that we're just supposed to forget is happening. Like because of the, what they chose the age, like, and I think they must have chosen like Jake to be that age. So that's like, well, we don't really know. I'm like, but that's the problem is we don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> the scene where Tess's fiance, uh, and played by Mark Harmon is like, Hey, isn't it kind of weird that you're riding on the back of a high school kid's motorcycle? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> and it should be explored a lot more than it is in this movie. Yeah. Oh, there's so much weirdness that goes on with all of that. So, well, we'll just start from the top because I have so many questions uh, with bulls in a china shop. So here's my first one. They find out that they've switched each other. Let me start with the beginning. I When they started the movie and you saw Tess grabbing all of the cell phones and pagers and all that shit, did you think she was going to be a therapist? Uh, no, I didn't. Not from just that. No, I did not get that. Well, to that point, like, I knew it was supposed to be an overworked mom not paying attention to her. I thought she was going to be a lawyer 
or a banker or like someone on the stock market, something like that. Not someone who helps people with their trauma for a living. Like somehow I'm supposed to sympathize with Anna because her mom isn't paying attention to her. I'm like, her mom is a fucking therapist. Like you could have chosen any profession and you chose something where like she's helping people and we've established some of the people she's helping, how ne like neurotic they are. Like they need her help, but like we're supposed to feel bad for Anna because Tess is helping those kinds of people. I'm like, that was already a misstep for me. I'm like, oh, why does she have so many cell phones if she's just a, a therapist? I don't, I don't get where we're going with this. But so with that, they wake up, they realize on a Friday that they are in each other's bodies. Why don't they just call in sick on both sides of the fence? What, at what point does Tess think, Anna, you can definitely fake it as a therapist for a day? All right. And, and here's like you said, if you make her a banker, it doesn't feel like they're being criminally negligent by going through yes. with this day. Yes. There's OSHA laws that are definitely being broken by her letting her daughter go and do that. So are ethical, ethical things that are being broken. So on the other side, you you think you can go and take a high schoolers? I wouldn't be able to go and take a high schoolers exit exams or like SATs or whatever the fuck those tests were supposed to be like. I can tell you right now, it's it's you use it or lose it with all of that knowledge. Like, there's no way I'm gonna go back and be able to pass those tests. So I don't understand why Tess goes back to the high school. I'm like, I don't think it's really well established why they don't just immediately go to the Chinese restaurant and like try and bust down the door. Like, hey, we figured out something weird happened here. You all need to help us figure this out. And I understand it's for the, the sake of the movie, but like it just from a character standpoint doesn't make any sense why they would go and try and live each other's lives as opposed to saying like, no, we're both calling in sick today. Like this isn't even an option for us to go and try and pretend to be the other person for a day. Brett, if I had given more of a shit about this movie, I would have made my chop shop just both of their lives dramatically falling apart because they decided to go through with this Friday. Like, uh, one of Tess's clients would, you know, jump off the Golden Gate Bridge because he's getting terrible advice from a 15 year old. Uh, Anna's entire future will be wrecked because her mom fails all of the, the exams that she takes. Yes, I want to see the dark side of this this movie. I want to see what is it? Uh, what super racist name did the Chinese lady have? Was it Ping Ping? Pei Pei? I think Pei -Pei? it was Pei Pei. Pei Pei? Yeah. Uh, I just want to have Pei Pei just kind of being like the joker she just wants to watch the world burn like let me just go ahead and switch these two bodies and just ruin potentially four lives when you include the two so, men in this situation so i'll get to that in just a second i just the last thing i want to say about the therapy is i don't understand why they they also go out of their way to mention how much test charges for therapy I think it's like $150 an hour for this, or it might've been like 108. I'm like, why did we put a monetary value to mental health? <laughs> like, I do not understand why this needed to be established either. Like, to me, when you have throwaway lines like that, you're trying to say something by throwing in a line like that. Like, you think it's too much, or like, it's just, it's crazy to me that they did that. So, to get to the <laughs> Chinese woman, is she a god? Okay, because she seems to wield magic um, like she has some kind of divine powers or something like that. And not only beyond that, funny enough, I when I was talking like so at the end of the movie, when she goes to do it to the grandpa and his grandson, like because they have a small <laughs> argument, she goes to switch them. I'm like. At the rate at which this woman is handing out cookies, it should not be foreign to people 
to hear about a body switcheroo in this universe. Like, at a certain point, Tess and Anna should have been like, oh my god, I think we're doing a body switcheroo. We just need to tell people that we're in a body switcheroo. Because it just seems like reckless abandonment to giving out fortune cookies that will switch people's bodies at that point. If that's what this Pepe's mom is doing. So, just... Again, reckless abandonment to just switching people around. It just seems like at some point, everyone's going to go through a body switcheroo with someone for the smallest argument. Like, Travis, if you loved this movie and I hated it, that's reason for us to need to switch bodies to, to reconcile what's going on between us. <laughs> we were talking off air about... Uh ranking all of the movies that we've ranked before can you imagine brett if we were sitting down and and pepe's grandma was or pepe's mom was near i'm like you know i really liked young guns i think it needs to be in the top 50 and you're like eh, 51's the best i could do bam we're switched like okay we we worked out young guns now let's let's talk about the shining bam we're switched again like what was what was pepe's childhood like like she came home with a d plus well I'm, I'm switching you with the garbage man because I'm going to show you what happens to your life if you don't take math seriously. Yeah, because Pepe establishes that this is a common thing. Like, you can't keep getting in people's yeah, lives. So, again, this universe seems like this is not an uncommon thing to, to have your body switched with someone you're arguing with. <laughs> oh. Um... Another problem I had is, so te at the point where Tess and Anna have realized that they've switched bodies and they have to figure out what they're going to do, this is before they've realized that they have to reconcile before they can switch back. So they, they're under the impression it should be an easy fix. Like, Pepe should be able to just reverse the spell, right? Anna going on a shopping spree in her mother's body makes no sense to me. If Anna had gone and bought a bunch of clothes for herself so that when she became Anna again, she had a bunch of sweet new clothes... I totally get that. But the whole idea that she's like, I'm in my mom's body for maybe a couple more hours. I'm going to go and charge up her credit card. I'm like, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's just like, why? Why would you need to go buy a bunch of clothes so that you could live in your mom's body for a couple hours? Like, it just makes no, no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, and I guess it's because it's a Disney Channel movie, so they kind of have to just go with what? I keep saying a Disney Channel movie. It's not actually a Disney Channel movie. It just seems yeah, it's like it's just one. a Disney movie. <laughs> but it's like you were talking about the therapy angle. I'm wondering, does therapy as her occupation only exist so they can have the two jokes? One of her in the supermarket, like talking on her phone, but the woman at the deli counter thinks she's talking to her. And then to have like the fish out of water test trying to uh, or Anna trying to play Tess as a therapist, like. And, and the, the shopping spree thing, I think that's just a trope that we see in movies. So they're like, yeah, throw it in there. Everything is just generic movie making 101 for, for children. Well, because in the Chinese restaurant, when they're in their own bodies before they do the switcheroo, Anna makes the comment like, don't try and analyze me like your clients or something like that. Where I'm like, is that going to be more, are we going to dive a little bit more into how like Tess thinks she understands her daughter because she's a therapist? We never really go into a whole lot of that. Um, I also thought Tess and Anna's body, when when she decides to erase the girl's answers and write, I am stupid across the test, I'm like, that's so out of character for a 40-year-old woman who's a, she's a, she's a licensed professional, and that's how she's going to react to it like a child? <laughs> like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and even, like, Jake's reaction to that is oddly strong. Like, he's, you know, mm -hmm. you're not the person I thought you were. Like, wink, wink, get it, get it? She's not the person. But I'm like, again, no 
you know, seven, is he 17? Is he 18? A 17 or 18 year old guy, that's not going to be any sort of deal breaker for him. He might be like, wow, that was weird, but they go kind of over the top to make Jake seem extremely moral right there for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I <laughs> I also don't know how she finished the test because I don't know how she got the booklet with her her with her questions. If you know anything about standardized testing, I think that one was a little a little strange in of itself. Jake working at the school and as a coffee barista, I also didn't think made a lot of sense because at a certain point when again, Tess is the model student, you know, authority, pro-authority and all that. She's the one sneaking out of detention, which Anna seems to be fine sitting in detention. We'll get to that, too, because it also establishes that Anna's always in detention, but, like, her mom is surprised. Oh, and the door take God, there's there's so much to, to undress with this movie. Well, poor use of words. Um, uh, <laughs> so, again, we'll, we'll go there. Taking the, the door off of your 15-year-old daughter's room makes seems like that is way over lines especially when as we're establishing her little brother is in there with some other kids who i thought they were supposed to be like new step or brothers apparently not they were just his friends that just showed up at the house but like they're playing with all of her underwear in her room and reading her diary and i'm like none of that like <laughs> it just none of it plays out right it just makes tess actually look like a terrible mom oh i it, it, to the taking the door off the hinges piece, I've, I've known parents who have done that. I don't know about you. That that didn't, it's not good parenting, but I've seen that done in real life. I did not find that to be a stretch at all. It doesn't fit within the framework of this movie, but. Right, and even to the point of like why you're taking that, like if it'd be one thing like, oh, she's always making out with boys and like something like that. She keeps locking her door. But I'm like, you took the door off because she was in detention. Like I don't understand how the crime or the, the punishment fits the crime of her being in detention. Like, it's just so much of it just does not, it does well, not make sense. Keeping in line with just weird tropes that they feel the need to throw into this movie, you have uh, Stephen Tobolowski playing the high school teacher who's held a grudge against Jamie Lee Curtis for presumably 30 years because of the high school prom. So mm -hmm. much to the point where he's just giving Anna Fs just because he wanted to fuck her mom way back when like he's he's also apparently a, just an actual terrible english teacher because i can't remember he gets the quote mixed up with who delivered it so i'm like this guy's just a mouth breathing grudge holding moron who has children's future in the palm of his hands yeah mm -hmm. i mean i'm, I'm sure so. Pepe would like him because he can take a slight grudge and turn it into a big thing but yeah, I mean, just imagine how many students he would have to switch bodies with <laughs> in order to, to get all of that, that solved. Yeah, that that was another weird... I don't think they ever... They at least established why he hated Anna. They never established why the the mean girl hated Anna other that, her, that used to be her friend. Like, they never really... Aside from the fact that she's just a bitch. Like, don't know. Yeah, just another high school trope to throw in. You know, two friends who had a falling out. Now she's a mean girl. And and to me, the the only relationship they even actually kind of try and resolve in the entire movie is the one between Hannah and her brother. And even that is done very lazily to me. Because it's basically like, she reads the essay that he actually admires her, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I can deal with you being a total asshole all the time to me. Like, 
that doesn't make any like i get it like in the moment like that's the only quote-unquote feel-good moment to me in the entire movie is when anna realizes her brother actually admires her i'm like oh that's kind of nice after that though nothing's the only other character that has anything even remotely close to that is i would say mark Harmon when he's talking to tess and anna's or i don't remember who he's talking to if he's talking to anna or tess in tess or anna's body but when he's like i always wanted her to come to me i was never going to try and force this i get it like her dad died three years ago blah 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 blah, blah, blah. i'm like okay that feels a, a little real to me like that conversation but even anna and tess making up didn't feel good or organic or anything like to me i'm just like okay this was just they had to do this so the movie could wrap itself up yeah, uh, Mark Harmon's character, his name, his name is Ryan. The, he, those couple of scenes are the only points of the movie where I felt like this was actually real life, where he was talking about, you know, I don't want you to cast me into the, you know, the overbearing stepdad role. Like you said, I always wanted her to be able to kind of, on her own terms, come to me. That Those scenes just kind of drop out of the sky and then leave just as quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean i'm sure i could i could pick even more things apart with with this movie um in terms of the the bulls in a china shop but it, that really just so much of the long-term effects of what happened because they decided to end each other's lives like and that's just it's completely glossed over like oh nope everything is going to resolve itself in the end like and honestly the person who makes out the best in this entire thing is Pepe because she got to cater the wedding at the end of the day because <laughs> for whatever reason Anna decided that she didn't like halibut so therefore she was going like it's also one of those things where it's like at points I'm like well you know I can kind of see both of their standpoints with what's going on here but on the other end I'm like they're also totally like Anna destroying her what her mom wants for fish makes like it just oh my god like I said yeah if she was seven years old that makes sense but she's 15 she shouldn't have even taken the call yeah and ultimately bold decision to not only have Pepe at the wedding but have her cater it because let me tell you something Brett if a woman essentially puts a curse on me and body switches me over some petty shit restraining order is going to be in order you know you don't mm -hmm. come within 150 yards of me ever pepe's grandma mm -hmm. let yeah, alone thing, serving hors d'oeuvres that what happens if i eat this <laughs> not only was pepe there but her mom was allowed to be there too because i tell you what pepe's mom would like would never be near me again so um, i think all we have left is in five point here is is lohan high uh do do you want to get into lohan high here yeah, and I, I I think we both worked at the theater when this movie came out because uh, I remember seeing the poster for it. It felt like Lindsay Lohan was like A-list status for a good long time. I looked at her filmography, though. Her Pretty career is essentially over not too long after this as far as being in legitimate movies because she started with The Parent Trap in 98. She did life size and get a clue which i think are both uh disney originals mm -hmm. um and then she graduates to cinematic releases of freaky friday uh 2003 confessions of a teenage drama queen and mean girls in 2004 uh she goes back to the disney well with herbie fully loaded in 2005 and after that i have not seen any of her movies 
uh, a Prairie uh, Home Companion, Just My Luck, Bobby, Chapter 27, Georgia Rule, I Know Who Killed Me. We're all the way up to 2009 now. I would assume right around Herbie Fully Loaded is where she wound up getting put into like rehab a bunch. Like that's when she kind of like went off the rails. And yeah, her, her career was a flash in the pan. Like she might still be doing little stuff here and here there. But yeah, I think right after Herbie's is where she decided she wanted to break that that Disney perception and then just kind of went off the rails. Yeah, and she, I guess, decided the tool to break her out of being a quote-unquote Disney kid is just lots and lots of cocaine. Is it not? I mean, it worked for her. I mean, I don't think of her as a Disney kid. So when did you say uh, Herbie Fully Loaded was? Uh, Herbie 2005, 2007 is when she was admitted to rehab. So, and at that point, you have to be doing stuff pretty hard before you can go to rehab. So, yeah, I, I would imagine that's probably post Mean Girls is where she kind of decided to break out of that shell and then it destroyed her life, essentially. Yeah, I just wonder anybody that, you know, maybe is under the age of 30 or 25, I wonder what their perception of Lindsay Lohan is. I'm assuming it's just kind of a, a tabloid famous person for being famous at this point. But yeah. you know, like you said, flash in a pan, there was a brief moment where I thought she was going to be a, a star for decades to come. She was definitely the, the, the new hotness. Uh, your time capsule, does it have anything to do with the director of this film? It does not. It has to do with. Okay. Pay pay. <laughs> okay. So uh, just, I wanted to talk on that while we were talking about Lindsay Lohan, because Mark Waters is the is who directed this film. He's also who directed Mean Girls. Yeah, I did not know that until I was researching for this movie. He has had a very interesting career uh, as well, because uh, he kind of peaks peaks early with this and Mean Girls, and it's only gotten worse from there. Yeah, I mean, he did Bad Santa too, which I never saw. I loved Bad Santa, but it was one of those I didn't need a sequel, so I wasn't going to go back and see what they did for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking at, at it. He did Freaky Friday in 2003, which was awful. Um, then he did Mean Girls right after that, which, I mean, most people love Mean Girls. Just like I Heaven. Included me, yeah. Yeah, the Spiderwick Chronicles, Ghost of Girlfriend's Past, Mr. Popper's Penguins, like all of those were like big, big movies that came out when they when they came out. It's just, yeah, for whatever reason. And then after Mr. Popper's Penguins, which I believe was a big flop, um, he I think he kind of got shouldn't you know knocked back down. I mean, here's what I'll say about Mark Waters. I don't want to make a lot of presumptions here, but. I feel like if he's married, he only has sex with his wife once a week and only missionary because <laughs> this filmography is the definition of vanilla ice cream. Like Mr. Popper's, mm. like Ghost of Girlfriend's Pass and Just Like Heaven. I got those two movies confused. Yep. Uh, also, Popper's Penguin's not not a failure. So I, I thought it, it was a bust, but it actually, despite, I think, you know, lackluster reviews, actually actually made some money so but yeah it's just uh very interesting where where he was at but yeah i was just very surprised that he i watched this knowing the next year Lindsay lohan and mark waters would reunite to do mean girls so yeah which, an appreciably guess, appreciably better movie than this one well i guess it's one of those things when you look at like 
the importance of a good script because I mean Tina Fey did the screenplay for Mean Girls and she's a comedian so like it's it shows in that movie how much influence she had yeah one movie has a voice and one movie absolutely does not <laughs> all righty well I think that about does it for five point inspection so if you have nothing else uh, I think we can go ahead and jump into some blue book Let's do it. Alrighty, Travis. So the sticker price of this here flick was $20 million estimated. All right. What do you think it made U.S. and Canada? Uh, $48 million. You're going you're gonna to hate yourself. $110 million. In U.S. and Canada? Yes. Holy shit. How much do you think wow. it made gross worldwide? How much did you say? Twenty million was its estimated cost, and it made what? A hundred? A hundred and ten? Wow. Uh, I'm I'm probably I'm not going to try to go too far with the the international gross. I'll say one sixty five. Well, yeah, one about one sixty one. So yeah, okay. you you're pretty damn close with the with the worldwide. So you had a, a firm idea of how much you thought that that was going to bo- you know, bump it up but uh yeah it's yeah, a little run. bit off on the initial gross thing yeah oh i still can't I still but you know what though when much. i think about it in 2003 kids that saw the jody foster version were probably you know younger newer parents uh, so there was probably that generational thing that, you know, this was one example of IP mining. I feel like that's now the, the du jour thing to have a, a retread of an old property that about 20 or 30 years ago was popular. That way you'd get the kids and their parents. So It's also one of those, I wonder what it was released against. Because if it's the only family film going on, well, it's not even, it wasn't even a summer flick. It was August 6th. I would have thought it would, it came out over the summer. I wonder what else came out against it. Oh, well. Oh, man, the hot chick. I mean, that would have been another switcheroo we could have done with Rob Schneider. I totally forgot that movie existed. Yeah, you know what? Let's let's take face out. Uh, face off out and uh, we'll, we'll sub in the hot chick. Just make you, sure you know this what? is the world's shittiest trilogy. <laughs> yeah, but we have to defect Pikachu in there, so it, it, it can't be. So I... <laughs> Uh oh! Um, Here comes Pepe's grandma. We had a disagreement, uh, Brett. Uh, oh no! Oh, oh. no! <laughs> uh, all right. So let's do tag and title. Um, you ready for some tag and title? I am ready. All right. So we do have a couple alternate. Uh, what is it? Titles for this film uh, in, in foreign markets. Uh, in Japan, it was fortune cookie in finland it was called friday is the worst and in spain it was put yourself in my place uh there might be some others in there but those are three my my favorites that stood out to me in terms of of changes in name so i'm now upset that i didn't i forgot how many switcheroo movies there were but all right so i'm now we're going to get into our 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 tagline so travis i'm Um, going to give you Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. I, while you were doing this, I was just looking up what opened against Freaky Friday. Do you want me to read uh-huh. off a couple of movies here? Yes, I would love to know what this went up against. 
Uh, the two that I recognize is American Wedding, which I believe is the third American Pie film. Oh, okay. And uh, Gigli, starring Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, which, as you probably recall, is a notorious <laughs> flop. So that might yes. be how Freaky Friday succeeded in the manner that it did. Yeah, and it would have been right... It would have been coming out right about the time summer's ending and school is starting up with an August 6th release. So this was probably like the final push before kids were going, starting to go back to school. So, uh, yeah, I could see up against those where that's if you're trying to get a movie in before the summer ends, this is all you have. But oh, I still can't believe how much it made. Yeah. So sorry to uh, interrupt your uh, your flow there, but uh, we just wanted no, to get that out of the way. Not at all. Appreciate it. Um, so now I'm going to give you three taglines. One is a tagline, an official tagline for the movie. One is a tagline for a movie I found adjacent. And one is a tagline I created myself. What I need you to do, Travis, is tell me what is an original tagline for 2003's Freaky Friday. Are you ready? Bring it. Every teenager's nightmare turning into her mother. As fortune would have it, and how freaky would it be if you turned into your mother? Uh, how freaky would it be if you turned into your mother? I'm going to say. I'm going to say that you're a son of a bitch, and that's probably from the Jodie Foster version or maybe okay. the 1995 Shelley Long version. But I think it's okay. going to be one of the existing Freaky Fridays. Uh, the first, every teenager's nightmare of what? Becoming their mother, their parents. Turning into their mother. Yeah. Turning into their mother. I'll say that's an official. Uh, and as what, the middle one, as fortune would have it. Yeah. I think you made that up. All right. You nailed it. All three. I think you even got the bonus. I don't know. the How freaky would it be to turn into your mother is the 1976 Freaky Friday. I assume that's the Jodie Foster one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you got it plus the bonus. So you know I you know I can't help it if it's a remake to to use an original tag line. So yeah, you were talking about the hot chick with Rob Schneider. I thought maybe you would pull that one, but that's actually the moment I realized that there were more body switcher movies than I thought, and I was like, there was a a much not much deeper, but there was a deeper well well wheel well for me <laughs> to uh to try and get into there. So. Uh, <laughs> that concludes it for tag and title though um yeah i was not feeling particularly inspired with this week's tagline <laughs> yeah, that movie has that effect on us it, it seems like travis do we have a time capsule this week it's funny you ask brett we do i would it be about pay pay uh it is as a matter of fact wow Brad, wow <laughs> we are really in tune did we switch bodies we and you got my uh, memories i maybe i was gonna say we don't need a fortune cookie right now that's for sure so speaking of fortune cookie my uh time capsule is indeed the actress who played pepe did you recognize her Brad? um i did not should i have i yes you should have um oh. and Audience, here's the new game to play. If we're watching movies, especially of this era, you can bet that my time capsule will always be, if there's an actor who appeared on the OC, they're going to be my time capsule. Because <laughs> Pepe is Dr. Kim, the principal of Harbor School, uh, the one who's skeptical of Ryan at first. Uh, but okay, it, 
yeah, turns into a warm presence in the show. I need you to take a step back the way you said I should have I should have recognized her. Did you recognize her prior to looking her up on IMDb? Oh, dude, absolutely. Hand, hand to God. Damn. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Principal Kim. Uh, I did. I did not know. I, I would not have known that without looking it up. You're but, probably one of those losers, though, Brett, that only watched the OC once back when it was new and haven't done multiple rewatches in your life. I'll have you know, I've watched the entire series at least twice because I would sneak episodes while I was watching it with my girlfriend and now wife. OK, so fuck you. All right. I mean, for a man who's seen it twice, you didn't pick out Dr. Kim. Just a little disappointing. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I mean, 2003, 2006. I said she was only in six episodes. <laughs> All right, Travis, with time capsule officially concluded because we did not try and skip over it by any means necessary. Um, are you ready to do some chop shop? Sort of. So this week I had Blockbuster and you had miniseries? Minis, miniseries, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, who would you like to go first? Um, I would like to go first, Brett, because uh, <clears throat> I barely put in an effort this week. I, so here's the <laughs> thing, Brett. I had a high-level idea of what I wanted to do, but I realized... It, it was a very dangerous game I was playing because, uh, well, have you heard hashtag believe all women, Brett? Yes, it would, I have. I, I was treading on dangerous territory of where I was going to go. And for such a shitty movie, I don't want to get our podcast canceled over Freaky Friday. So you might see where I'm going. And then I completely abandoned ship and just stopped writing mm -hmm. my chop shop and it's just over but i'll give you what i got through. uh so i got mini series uh episode one because you know i was also looking for a cliffhanger opportunity as well uh, of course i mean you are the cliffhanger we'll never know uh episode one opens in a mental health facility with a line of patients waiting for their medication in the line, we notice Ryan receive his pills, and he takes them with a cup of water and shuffles over to a common area with TV, books, board games, etc. As he sits down, he spits the pill back into his palm, palm of his hand, and buries it in a potted plant next to his chair. He looks up and shares a knowing glance with Jake, also a patient at the Institute, sitting across the room, pretending to read a magazine. Uh, with that, we'll see a title card stating five months earlier, and we'll follow the events of Freaky Friday up until Tess and Anna waking up in each other's bodies. So that's okay. going to conclude episode one. Episode two opens with Anna and Tess leaving the Chinese restaurant frustrated. Uh, but as the audience, we don't see the conversation with Pei Pei. Uh, we'll have the parent-teacher conference scene where Anna, as Tess, will realize that her little brother actually looks up to her, etc. Uh, Jake will begin to question his crush on Anna due to her strange behavior. Uh, 
In another flashback to the mental health facility, the scene picks up mid-escape as Ryan and Jake break out of the facility and steal a car stating they have to go clear their names. <laughs> and that's where I gave up, Brett, because <laughs> I uh, I wanted to question. So we don't we don't see the conversation with Pepe about changing them back. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I wanted Ryan and Jake to be in the mental health facility because of the traumatic experience of one or both of them being involved in statutory rape. Um, I wanted I wanted it to be implied for a little bit that they had murdered Anna and Tess and they were declared criminally insane <laughs> and that's why they're in the mental health facility. My twist was going to be that they were both still alive. Both men were just committed uh, because mm-hmm. they were they they were convinced that a body switch scenario happened, and then mm-hmm. I was also going to go with another layer of: Are they just actually crazy, or are these women gaslighting them? So yeah, but I decided, you know what? It's a dangerous, dangerous game. I'd be playing. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it was pretty safe up until the "Are these women gaslighting them?" situation, and that's that's when you might have gotten into a little. And I think one of the reasons is because earlier this week I saw Alex Garland's new movie, Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fucking awful. Spoilers. But uh, yeah, that 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 was kind of top of mind. The subject matter of that movie. Okay. I was almost thinking if you want to go the gaslighting situation, if you want to bring it into a comedy, you could almost do when they remade Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And it was the, the Anna and Tess wind up almost being partners. Like our... Does Ryan start to believe that they're like, like they're trying to like fleece him for money? But then you would have to establish that Tess Tess is not actually a therapist in your universe. That maybe she's just a single mom or something like that, trying to make it. Yeah. So I, I had opportunities. It, there sounds like there, there's a couple ways I could have gone, but I still did. dangerous territory. You know, da- you were swimming out deep yeah. and. <laughs> If, if we're going to get canceled as a podcast, Brett, it's going to be reviewing a, a movie much better than Freaking Friday. Uh, I, I appreciate that, that you're putting that kind of you know thought into into our chop shops and what we do here. So um, I don't think my chop shop has any risk of us being canceled. I could be completely wrong, though. Um, I had Blockbuster. So would you like to hear what I did for Freaky Friday to make it into a Blockbuster? All right. So... The movie is going to open similarly, sim, similar, similar, soliloquy, uh, the movie is going to open just like it does in this, but Tess is going to wind up being a district attorney and Anna is going to be a little bit more openly anti-authority. Like they definitely hint at it in that early 2000 way where like when she's talking about was in 1984 and all that, um, that, that she's pretty anti-authority, even though. She somehow is wearing a T-shirt she must have gotten from a Coles or something like that because another girl was wearing. It. I don't know. We'll get in. I, we won't get into that. But I, I did think that was an interesting plot point that they had to make. But um, the two are going to wind up butting heads a little bit more because Anne obviously sees her mother as an authority figure, especially working for the district attorney. And then Tess is going to feel like Anne is moving away from her, and that you know she's not being a you know she needs to start being a more responsible adult. As she's moving through high school. Maybe Anna will be a little bit older than mine. I'm not sure. I didn't put that much thought into it, if I'm honest. So, 
after the two get into a heated argument um, that starts a yelling match in the middle of the restaurant, because I also thought that the argument they had did not warrant needing the cookies. Like, it was just a little argument between a mom and a, and a daughter, and they got up and excused themselves from the table and went off to the side of the restaurant. I'm like, it wasn't even like a screaming match or anything like that, but uh, there's going to be a, a yelling match in the middle of the restaurant, and the, move, the two are going to move towards the restroom, right, to try and get out of the middle of the restaurant. A mischievous animal is going to be watching them as they move through the restaurant. And as the, con the two continue to fight and move um, through the restaurant, we're going to see the animal move into the kitchen, a puff of magical smoke, and all of a sudden, a server is going to come out holding two cookies. All right. Uh, the server gives the two fortune cookies, or the fortune cookies to the two, smirks and just kind of fades into the background. Not like literally fades, but just like as he's moving back, the background just kind of engulfs him. Um, and the two crack open their cookies and they read the text as it illuminates gold and then fades to black. All right. So it looks mystic, right? I don't remember what the actual fortune is. I could have copied and pasted it, but again, didn't feel like doing that because this movie sucks. Um, the next morning, the two are going to awaken in each other's bodies and the movie is going to play out very, very similar. Hey, I got the word that time. Uh, similarly, there we go. I can say it. Similar uh, fashion. <laughs> Only... <laughs> The two begin to realize the amount of damage and destruction that they are doing to each other's lives, trying to pretend to be the other one. Because I thought we both honed in on that. Like, there are serious consequences to what they are doing that this movie chooses not to acknowledge. So, um, the two are going to go back to the Chinese restaurant and find the server. And it is going to be revealed that the server is Sun Wukong, the Chinese trickster god. And that he has used magic to put a spell on the two so that they can find harmony. All right. I felt like that was a little bit better than just Pei's grandma knows magic. Okay. So let's actually bring in some actual Chinese um, like folklore into this. Right. Yeah. And it removes the element of Pei's grandma being a complete psychopath. Because like <laughs> if you're an ancient deity, you don't view human life the same way a right. human being would. So, yeah, that's a good you fix. You say that, but the whole time I complained about Pei Pei's grandma and how reckless she was, my wife looked over at me. She says, you realize if you could do that, this is exactly what you would be doing. I'm like, that's beside the point, okay? I am a reckless human being. <laughs> Pei Pei's grandma should not be this way. <laughs> All right? You're right. With great power, I have no responsibility, but we're not talking about me. We're talking about a movie right now. <laughs> so, the two have to find harmony. The two get angry, and Anna in Tess's body, lashes out at Sun Wukong, and when suddenly, like, there's a bright flash, uh, and Anna and Tess, their souls appear to be removed from the bodies, and they're now a kind of a, uh, they're knocked back, almost like a, you know, the ancient one in, in Marvel, if you're thinking imagery, uh, kind of get knocked out, and all of a sudden, they're in a, now a, kind of like, uh, a, a spiritual plane, right? Where they have to now try, they're forced to reconcile outside of the physical world, and they're hovering above a pool of water that is a reflection of themselves, right? So the two continue to shout at each other, accusing themselves of being, you know, the, the, of their worst traits. Like, they're basically all you're selfish, you're the terrible, like, refusing to acknowledge the good in each other. And as they're doing this, their mirror forms in the pond, the pool of water, begin to mutate and become a grotesque beast with two heads, all right? And suddenly, we're going to see this awful like claw-like arm come out of the water slam down on the ground and the beast now climbs up out of the pool of water right so suddenly sun wukong jumps in 
I believe he he wields a staff um, and begins to, to to fight the monster. So this is where we're getting into our blockbuster. We have to have some giant CG battle in modern blockbusters. So he's going to start battling the monster. Uh, he's going to explain to them that they have created this beast because they only see the worst in each other. And therefore, the reflections, their perceptions of each other are their worst uh, that they can be. Sun Wukong gets knocked back and they have to basically retreat into a magical forest. So that's near in the spiritual realm. They both realize that they don't have the power to fight the monster. So they begin to hide and they start talking things out. It is only then that they begin to realize how much of them feels and what they go through. And they, their manifestations begin to shrink and change back into their human form, an actual reflection of who they are holistically as a human being and not just their worst traits. Once the two have found peace, Sun Wukong is going to suddenly just kind of pop back up, uh, you know, blase, um, and basically say like, you know, that wasn't so hard. Now was it? Basically set the whole thing up. Like he actually didn't get, like he allowed himself to get hit by the monster because he needed there to be some level of peril. He has a smirk on his face as all of them begin to fade out of the spiritual plane, you know, fade to white. The two wake up back in their beds and their bodies with the alarm going off. We get a shot of a calendar or a date and it's Friday all over again. So literally a you know, Groundhog's Day. So now we realize the whole thing was a dream. Everything, all the destruction that they created, we can now say didn't actually happen so the world can go and move on with, without any of those ramifications. The two have a pleasant morning. They go on their day with a montage of everything that happened when they messed it up because they were in each other's bodies, but now everything is going right because everything is right in the world. They're actually interacting. They've learned from each other. We end the movie at a wedding where Tess and Anna just smile at each other as Tess is saying, I do to Ryan. So a couple of things. <clears throat> Normally, this is where I tell you that you did a great job. You improved upon the movie. I, I can't believe you pulled it off. In this case, Brett, you pretty much could have done anything and it would have improved upon the movie. <laughs> I mean, I think all you had to do was go a step further than I did and actually complete your chop shop, which kudos <laughs> to you for that. Uh, but no, that's that's really good. I, I like the imagery. I, I, again, I like putting in the, the trickster god element because for a second I was like, is he is, is this going to be Loki? But it sounds like he's the Chinese version of Loki. Yeah, I, the equivalent of. Yeah, it's not a, an apples to apples, but he he is the Chinese trickster god. I want him to be played by Sung Kang, but in his terrible Obi-Wan Kenobi makeup. That's that's what okay, I, I mean, envisioned the whole time. Mm hmm. I think that, that that would be spot on. Or it needs to be the kid from Jumanji. I, well, my, the makeup from the kid from Jumanji, not the kid, because that would be, you know, cultural appropriation. We're not here. We're not for that here on the, the Hollywood Chop Shop. My second thought was, I think going forward, we, we do, uh, in, in, if this is your first time listening, we'll do a trilogy wrap-up once we complete this trilogy. One of our segments in the trilogy wrap-up is the character swap. Can we, now going forward, can we make that the, the Pepe's Grandma character swap? <laughs> like, can we get a sponsorship I'm, with Pepe's Grandma? I, I think we can definitely add a new segment in. It's like, yeah, Pepe's fortune cookie swap here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, gr brilliant job as usual, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, uh... I believe that yeah wraps us up. So, do you have any parting word? Oh, I guess we, if we need to do it, final assessments. Um, uh, we've mentioned on air and off air that we're going to rank every movie that we've done. Uh, I can firmly start by putting this one at the bottom. I don't think anything else needs to be said by me. 
Yeah. Yep. Same here. Uh, this is by far of the, I think, 60 plus movies episodes we've done. This is this is my least favorite movie we've done. And that includes Life, which I hated. It includes the weird Christmas uh, stop action movies that we did with Rudolph when we went back and like that movie is a lot more demented than it than it originally thought. Like this is there's just nothing about this movie that I found redeeming. I just was like, I don't even say I was shouting at the screen because I didn't even have enough energy to care about that. Like, yes, I'm animated in this episode as we get to talk about it and just trash it. But I'm like, just watching the movie was it was almost indifference and almost like I felt like my soul was leaving my body watching the movie. Yeah, and in true Hollywood Chop Shop fashion, we managed to review this movie the week after we reviewed maybe our favorite movie, which made, <laughs> you know, Men in Black followed up by this. I that's a steep, tall cliff to fall off. Listen, dude, if if nothing else, you know, we're good for whiplash. <laughs> in this show so we uh we like to bring you up high and then just kick you off the cliff so but uh yeah we'll see i am very very much looking forward to our next week's review of detective pikachu because i think we are going to have very different perspectives on that movie and that world because like i said i it was one i definitely fully admit i had a hard time taking my nostalgia glasses off as i watch it and the special effects and where those, you know, where that uh, IP basically originated and, and where it's at now. So I, uh, I already know things that I have problems with it. So I can't wait to see if they're even more glaring for somebody who is just watching the movie with no background with Pokemon or the IP. But we'll see. The only thing I have going for me is Ryan Reynolds plays Detective Pikachu. And it's, I mean, Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds as a yellow rodent. So... I feel like I might have a leg to stand on there. Uh, we shall see. I mean, maybe not being familiar with the IP, maybe the stuff that you didn't like or had problems with, I won't even notice. So yeah, it'll be an interesting exercise. Yep. So if nothing else, we'll get to hear uh, I'm in need of a hero again. So, oh, that's right. That's right. So we, 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 we got to... <laughs> Not too far off of Footloose, where it originated, we get to see how it was used in its most modern uh, usage, so our most recent. So, with that said, thank you all. We, as always, we appreciate the listen, and uh, we hope to see you next week for Detective Pikachu. Bye. Oh, you don't. You don't even have a quote from the no, movie you want to give us. No, I'm not even. No, that's how little I respect this movie. Did you like my low hand high? Like when you say it out loud, it sounds like low and high. <laughs> okay, we gotta do that again. I didn't read both. <laughs> we were both supposed to do it. All right. One, two, three. A single mother and her teenage daughter don't always see eye to eye, which somehow validates the gross misuse of magic, allowing them to walk in each other's shoes literally. After breaking open a set of mystic fortune cookies, the two swap bodies and now must come to understand the pitfalls of each other's existence or risk remaining in the other's body for all eternity. What's the worst that could happen when a 15-year-old is given ther or is giving yeah. 
what's the worst that could happen when a 15-year-old is giving therapy advice on the eve of her mother's... Oh, oh god damn it. Okay. What's the worst that could happen when a 15-year-old is giving therapy advice on the eve of her host's wedding and a 40-something-year-old is sent back to high school during exams week? Yep. So I think that brings us to our final segment with Chop Shop. I, uh... I had... Wait, wait, wait. What about Time Capsule? Oh, shit. See, this is the problem. If I don't put it in my notes, I skip right over. I even brought it up earlier in the damn show. You Uh, did. My laptop's about to die. I forgot to plug it in, so I'm going to take care of that real quick. Okay, yeah, before you do the Chop Shop. Probably a good idea. I'm still disappointed in you, though, Brett. <laughs> oh, here comes Pepe. Pepe's grandma. 